0: glad I didn't let that rain keep me out of church today. That's, and I'm glad you're here too. I was uh, gone last week. We had ministry council retreat and then I took off and headed back to Chicago because, well, something special happened there. I, I think we have a picture. I'm hoping we have a picture. Do we have one? Maybe. Ah! <laughs> now, some of you who are newer, you thinking, what on earth is big about this? Lots. There's the answer. That is little Brooks. Michael Green, my first grandson, was just born on October 27th, so the third grandchild, So we had to get, and Chris is still back home doing the uh, grandmother thing, so that's why she's not in the choir, but we are excited about that, but I'll tell you, I'm glad to be here, I've, I've already been so grateful for this morning, Ruby, what a blessing, well in the choir, every part of this, servers with communion, it, it's been wonderful. Um, several years ago, uh, Dr. Paul Cedar uh, gave me a call. Many of you know him. He was the pastor here, and at that time he was the president of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And he asked me if I would fill in for him speaking at a uh, meeting, a a convening of of churches in Japan. He had become ill at the last moment and couldn't go. I think I only had a day or two to get ready and to head over. And and this was an important gathering. There were four denominational groups in Japan that had never worked together. In fact, there had been some difficulties in their history with one another, but the Spirit of God had put it on their hearts that they were supposed to work with one another in carrying the message of Jesus to that country that still has only well, less than 1% of those who follow Jesus. So they uh, had asked him to come. He couldn't go, so I went. And so we were there for two and a half days of of meeting and prayer. I spoke ten times in two and a half days. Can you believe it? An hour a shot. And there was not one person who missed a single meeting. Now, Albert, that's a miracle. I didn't even want to hear myself speak that much, but they were there for the entire time. When we finally came to the tenth meeting on that third day, uh, Pastor Ohashi from Kobe who was uh, such a respected leader and the one who had gathered these four groups together, introduced me for the final time. And he said something like this. He said, my brothers and sisters, we have come to the last five minutes of our time together. When we began, he said, we knew we had many hours to seek God with one another. But now we have come to our last five minutes. No one wastes time with trivial things when he comes to the end of his time, and our time is now short. We know that God has much for us to do. He has shown us that. So now our speaker will come, and he will concentrate his energies, and we will do the same as we will listen ready to respond, for we know we must from God in our last five minutes. Well, the text that we're looking at today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, that La Rosa has read for us, is the text that I spoke about that day. I didn't know that he was going to do that introduction, but it was a good introduction because when you come to Matthew 28, we come to the last five minutes of Jesus' time with his followers. He'd been with them for three years. For three years, they had seen him live the way that God created life to be lived. For three years, they had seen him do one miracle after another. For three years, they had heard him teach them about who God is and about how much God loves and show them the love and justice and compassion of God. Then, just a few days before we come to Matthew 28, they had seen Jesus hanging on the cross on that cruel Roman cross, dying for the sins of the world. And while he was in that grave, bearing the weight necessary because of our sin. But they had also come to learn that that grave and that sin could not hold him. For he had defeated sin and guilt and shame and death through his resurrection from the dead. And then God had given him the opportunity to spend several days with the disciples... Teaching them, teaching them about the mission, about how they were to live. But when you come to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we come to Jesus last five minutes. And I'll tell you, the words that he spoke there were not trivial words. They have been the words that have guided every church that takes the word of God seriously. It's guided every church throughout the history of the church and throughout the entire world, ever since Jesus spoke them. La Rosa has read it to you, but let me tell you again what they were. Our Lord Jesus Christ, just before ascending to the Father, said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore you go. "...and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now if you look at those words that Jesus spoke, you can see that they are divided into three very clear parts. Each one of them is breathtaking if we allow ourselves just a few moments to meditate on them. And and so we're going to. Uh, What we're going to see in verse 18 is that there is an almost unimaginable claim that Jesus makes. Then we're going to move to the very last phrase in verse 20 and look at an immensely encouraging promise that he gives to us. And then we're going to move right into the middle. And we are going to look at an undeniably clear command that we dare not disobey. So first, let's think about the claim that Jesus made. I called it an almost unimaginable claim. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if you have read the Gospels, you know that Jesus was always making claims about himself that just sent people's minds reeling. This welcoming and kind and and humble man would say things that when you think about them, you would say, What on earth is he saying? I am the bread of life, the only one who can sustain the, the, the totality of life. I am the living water, I am the way to God. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though we may die physically, will live forever. I am one with the Father. Jesus made those kinds of claims. But I think that for our practical everyday living and for our church, there is no command that Jesus or claim that Jesus ever made that has more practical application than this one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth given to Jesus. You should be shocked by that sort of a claim. He is claiming here that he has authority over every moment and every event of history. Jesus is claiming that he has authority over every part of this material universe over every natural object, over every law that governs it. He has authority over stars and galaxies and planets. He has authority over weather systems, winds, rain. Lord, why did you send it on a Sunday morning? But He has authority over it. (laughs) Lightning and thunder and hurricanes and tornadoes. He has authority over all life. Every form of life. Plants, animals... Great ones and small ones. Visible ones and ones we can't even see. He has authority over all bacteria and parasites and viruses and germs over everything that has DNA. Jesus says that he has authority over every part and function of our human body. Which is the reason why we can come to him and pray whenever we need healing. Over every beat of my heart. Every, over every breath that I draw in my diaphragm. Jesus is claiming to have authority over every other authority in this world. He claims to have authority over Satan and demons. Authority over all nations and governments. Authority over Congress. Authority over presidents and kings and Middle Eastern tyrants. Authorities over armies and, and weapons and bombs and, yes, terrorists. Terrorists authority over all business and industry and finance over every currency in this world. And even though people talk about Wall Street, he's already occupied it. (laughs) That's what Jesus is claiming. Here in Southern California, he claims to have authority over the entertainment industry and over all leisure and over media and with our schools over all education and research and science. And in our communities, Jesus claims to have authority over all crime and violence. And in our homes, over our families and neighborhoods, over every soul and over every moment of every life that ever has been lived or ever will be lived. That's what Jesus claims. There is nothing in heaven or on earth over which Jesus does not have authority, and that means that he does not have the right And the power to do what is best. So, when we don't see it, we have to learn to trust Him. This is the lofty claim that Jesus wanted to make in His last five minutes. Jesus has authority in whatever happens here in Pasadena. In a few moments, we're going to ask whether He has authority in Monrovia as well. We're going to do that. He has authority over everything in heaven and on earth because Jesus is God. There is nothing in the creative universe that has not been made through His power and through His agencies. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I never want us here at Lake Avenue Church ever to forget that. When things seem to be outside of our control because it is. He is the Lord of this church and nothing is outside of His authority, outside of His dominion. I had to apply this to myself this past week. When I saw that we were short in our own giving, and in a few moments, we are going to give so that another church that names Jesus as Lord is going to be able to be planted, I thought the world looks at this and says, that's dumb. And yet we're going to see it's not. When we obey his command and do what he tells us to do, he says, I have authority over everything, including Lake Avenue Church and its giving. You do what I'll have you to do, and you will see my provision to my glory. This is the almost unimaginable claim that Jesus makes. I never want you to forget it because Jesus never wanted us to forget it. In his last five minutes, when people were still facing doubts, Albert, did you see that? They'd already seen that he was resurrected from the dead. And there in verses 16 and 17, they still have doubts. So he says, I'm going to tell you something. When you face the challenges of this world, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That brings me to that verse 20, what I call an immensely encouraging promise. And surely I am with you always. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. I want to ask who's with us. I want us to ask when he's with us. And I want to ask how long is he going to be with us. Now who is with us? The one who has all authority over heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, I don't have as much time to talk about this as I want. But I plead with you to pray that God will open your eyes to see what this means to you today. I've been thinking about us here in our church, praying for so many of you. As you gather here and if you have lost your job, if you've been told that you've just been diagnosed with a debilitating illness or a loved one is facing that, if you have a broken relationship, something's not going well with your children, if you're starting a new church. This Jesus, with all authority over every enemy and every disease and every calamity and every futility, promises, I will be with you. He's the one who has said he will be working everything together for the good. The everything may seem to be bad, But what he's working it for is for the good of everyone and all who love him and are called according to his purpose. This one who is with us is one with the Father who in Isaiah 41.10, a text I love, has said, I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. So that when you face things that just seem to be impossible, he is the one who is with you. I read Second Timothy chapter four verses sixteen to seventeen. The apostle Paul was in prison one more time. And he said, You know, every time when I'm here in prison, everyone has deserted me. But the Lord has been with me and gives me strength. Who is with him? The one who is with you, the one who has authority over heaven and earth. That's who's with us. Amen. Now, I want us to think about when is he with us. Uh, Surely, he is with us when we show up at church in the middle of the rain on a Sunday morning. I am with you always. And the word that Jesus uses almost surely in the language that he was speaking in Aramaic meant all the days. it's It's an idiom that was used that there is never a day that he is not there. Never a moment that he is not there. So even though you may sometimes feel like he is far away, I want you to learn to count upon his presence all the days of your life. And how long will he be with us? Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll tell you, what he's saying is, I'm going to to complete the work that I've started here. And I'm going to use you to get it done. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be alone until it is done. I will be with you until I return physically. And then we're going to see Him face to face. This is such a beautiful and powerful promise. That in in, in these days, where you and I still live by faith and not yet by sight, I I say sometimes we live in the restricted presence of God. It's not that He's restricted. It's that we are. He's here. We don't see Him with our physical eyes. But a day is going to come when we see Him face to face. That's what the Bible promises. All things will be made new. What He started, He will be done with. So until He's done with it, He's going to be with us. And then when he's done with it and is here, we'll see him face to face. Do you see that? It's great now. It's going to be better then. This is the great encouragement, the immensely encouraging promise that he gives to us. The one who has all authority will never leave us or forsake us, but will be with us always to the very end of the age. And then we'll see him face to face. Hallelujah Which brings me at last To how we live until he's done with the work Here's the undeniably clear mandate Ready to hear it again? So go Make disciples of all nations When you do you baptize them In the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit And so that they can really become disciples You have to teach them Everything I have commanded you a couple of things we just have to notice briefly. I want you to see the perspective that anyone who follows Jesus has to have toward the world. We have to be goers. The real command is not so much go. It's the way it's put in our language. But, but what that is is the perspective that we're to have. When the message of Jesus has gotten to us, it's not just for us, right? It's for all the people who God brings across our path. And for all people in this world, Jesus died for the world. Therefore, we are to be Goers. We should never have any fear when we are going. That's why even if we are going and doing things, obeying this command in the midst of challenging times, there's no fear. Why? Because the one who tells us to go is the one who has all authority over heaven and on earth. Do you see that? There's nothing in this world to fear. So if we go in His name and do what He tells us to do, even though we will face challenges, and we will, they're not challenges greater than he is. There's nothing to fear when we're going. The only thing to fear is fearing disobeying him. And in this context, the only fear we have is not going, being stayers. Do you remember one of the first sermons I ever preached to you? I said, I've learned over the years how to kill a church. I think I've told you this several times. I hope I don't do it here, but I know how. All we have to do is disobey this command. Just get internally focused. Now there are certain things we have to deal with internally. We have to have church business meetings and look at bylaws and ask if the grammar is right. But if if that's what we focus on and that's all that we do, we'll die. All that has to serve this. That has to serve us going and and carrying the love and compassion of Jesus to our community and then beyond. Carrying the message of, of salvation through the name of Jesus. When we do that, we have nothing to fear. Only when we just turn internal. We'll just kill one another. And it'll also be boring. But when we have to count upon the Lord. When we're prayerfully seeking, Lord, how will you provide for us this time? And then we see it. Our faith will be energized. And our, life, our church will be alive. We must be a going people and a going church. Amen? Second, I want us to see what the mandate is. We are to make disciples. That's the command. You're going to be going, people. But when you go, you're just not going out there just flailing around. You're going to be making disciples. Now, that's a very religious term, so I want you to understand what it is that's supposed to be happening because it's supposed to be happening to you and me and through you and me. Uh, A disciple in Jesus' world was a person who followed a rabbi or a mentor so that you can become like that rabbi or mentor. Does that make sense? You follow and learn from a rabbi and a mentor, so that you can become like. You learn, so that you can become like that person. And that's exactly what you're in for. If, if you become a follower of Jesus, become a part of Lake Avenue Church, you know what you're in for: becoming like Jesus. And the the Bible says that's what we have been made to be. You and I have been made in the image of God. We've walked away from Him and our lives get to be messed up. God says, I'm going to unmess them. I'm going to do something beautiful for you. I'll forgive your past and I'll begin working into you and remaking you. So a disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, learning from Jesus with the goal of becoming like Jesus. Now, here is the beautiful part. You and I are not yet... This this part isn't so beautiful. We're not complete disciples yet. Not a one of us is fully like Jesus. We try to pretend we are. We put on our best clothes. But the reality is we're still disciples in the making ourselves. I was hoping for an amen there. We certainly are. That's why in a church like ours we'll fail and we have to forgive one another. And we have to start all over again and get at it. But the promise is... He'll forgive our past. When we bring our sins to Him, He'll forgive them again. And he'll give his spirit to us and he'll give us one another. And he will not be done with us until the work that he started will be brought to completion. Romans 8, we're going to become conformed to the image of Christ. We follow our master so that we can become like him. Now, that's the beautiful part. It's so amazing for me that even as we are becoming complete disciples ourselves, he calls us into the privilege of making disciples. You and I, who are disciples in the making, become disciple makers ourselves. This, this is God's plan for us. It's mind-boggling why He chose to do this. And a part of our own growth is when we're out telling people about Jesus and investing and praying for other people and longing for them to become like Jesus. And that is the command. And, and I love the two parts of it that he says, and of course, as you're making disciples, baptize them in the name of the Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and the notion of baptism had a number of meanings, but in this context, it is the one with whom we fully identify. It is that mentor or rabbi that I say, that's the one that I'm going to become like. So the one that we are going to follow and become like is the one in whose name we are baptized. So the baptism that took place almost always in the early church, three times under, (laughs) would be to say, I belong head to toe to him. I am going to become like him. I identify with him in his death for my sins and in his resurrection to a new life. If you've never followed the Lord in baptism, it is a powerful thing to do, and it's what Jesus says you should do. Identify him as the one you're going to become like, and then teach Everything I've commanded you. What is found in this word, as Jesus says, all points to me. Teach it so that people will know how to live. If you haven't learned, you can't live it. You can't apply what you've never understood. And that's what we're going to do. The command then is that we are to be goers who make disciples. And the last thing I want us to think about is who can become a disciple of all nations. The gospel is not just for us, but it is for us. I'm sure the early disciples couldn't have imagined us meeting here in Southern California. I should. Southern California, what is that? Didn't even exist. And here we are. Because followers of Jesus have been obeying this command. And God has empowered them with the authority of Jesus to carry it. Make disciples of all nations. There's not a culture or ethnic group or society or nation where Jesus does not have the right to be known and to be worshipped. and Where he is not sufficient for the salvation of all who will turn to him. He has authority to be the king and the lord of the universe. For that's who he is. Uh, Jesus, this one to whom all authority has been given, has commanded us to carry the gospel until every nation and every people here. The Somali, the Turkana, the, the Tamil Places where we have sent people. Every religion. We don't just say, well, okay, just this. No, people need to hear about Jesus. The Muslim, the Hindu, the animist. Needs to repent of where they've been going and going their own ways. Turning themselves over to Jesus and finding His forgiveness. And then beginning to become like Him. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples among every people. Christianity is a missionary faith. When we just gather to have a nice social club, we become a dead and dying, stagnant pond. Like the dead sea that has no opportunity for the water to flow out, that's what happens to us and there will be no life in this place. But Jesus took his last five minutes to tell us how we can be a place that is full of life. He reminded us that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth, so there's nothing in this world to fear except disobeying him. He tells us that when we go out into this world and we face the challenges of an imperfect and fallen world, he will not leave us alone. And then he tells us what to do. You gather here to worship me, but then you go to make disciples of every nation. We are to start, Jesus would say it in Acts chapter 1, we are to start in our own Jerusalem, our own Pasadena, make sure the gospel is heard here and the implications of the gospel are felt here when people are hurting that when our school systems aren't doing well, we're going to be there because Jesus loved people and we're going to love people. Whenever people are having a hard time with homelessness or with immigration, we're going to be there standing together with people. But we're not supposed to just focus on have, make disciples, carry the gospel, live out the implications of the gospel in your own area, but also go to Judea and eventually to all of the world and brothers and sisters, by God's grace. I know it's a congregational church. But this congregation is under His authority. (laughs) By God's grace, you and I are going to obey this command. We're going to be a place that is involved in what God is doing in this community and in this world. And we are going to know that when we obey His command, He will provide all that we need to do what He has called us to do. He will not leave us alone. He will be with us. Jesus used his last five minutes to drive that message home. And now, this morning, we have the privilege, I think, to take a step of obedience in being a going church that makes disciples and plants other families, not just in our own Jerusalem, but in our Judea. I think so many of you know, and it was a year and a half ago, Pastor Albert came to me and told me that the Lord had put on his heart that he is to be one who is to go and to start another family. I was longing for us to be able to be a part of it. And then he told me, yes, we can be a part of this, and we have an opportunity to see the power and authority of God, not just in Pasadena. But I've been praying all along this 210 corridor. I feel like that is the sort of a stewardship. I've been praying about that for a long time. So perhaps we can just go out a little bit to the east, go here to Monrovia and plant another church there where the gospel is proclaimed and where that community is taken seriously and the needs of public education and homelessness and hunger and all the issues are addressed in the names of Jesus and people are called to follow Jesus and then to go and make disciples of all nations. And we've come to the time this morning in which I believe God is going to bless us because I believe we are seeking to obey what he commanded us to do in the last five minutes, to send our very best. You know the churches, this church has done this since its earliest days. We've sent the gospel where it's never been heard. We've sent our very best and supported them. And now, too, I just feel like we're sending our very best. I can't believe, Pastor Albert, the gifts that God has given you. Um, you just have to be faithful to use them. And we are so thankful that we're able to be a little part of this. We're going to have a commissioning time for Pastor Albert and for LaRosa even now. So I'd like to have, uh, LaRosa, can you make it up here one more time? (laughs) I'd like you to come and pastors, um, ministry council people, elected leaders. David, I see a few others who are going to be a part of the leadership team. I know you're filming this, but those who are going to be a part of Albert's leadership team, will you come up? We're going to have a time of commissioning and prayer. After that, I think Pastor Albert, we're going to show a video. Then I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Albert to share with you a little bit about when this church will begin and one great opportunity that we're going to have an opportunity to be a part of. Uh, Today, I've asked Pastor Chuck uh, to pray particularly for Albert LaRosa and their family and our Ministry Council uh, member, Sung Choi. Dr. Troy, if you would come and pray, particularly for the fellowship in Monrovia, uh, that it will be a church that also is committed to obeying
1: this command given in the last five minutes of our Lord. Church family, would you just extend out your hands in, in support of the prayers that we're going to offer on behalf of Albert and La Rosa and the fellowship Monrovia. So, God, as we gather the church family this morning, we recognize this is a very special moment where we sense uh, so clearly... Your work in the lives of Albert and La Rosa. Uh, they've come to us and they've blessed us, God. Uh, they've opened their hearts to us. They've loved us. Uh, they've pastored us. They've taught us. They've modeled for us. And it is our honor to stand with them today and recognize the call that you have on their lives to plant a church in Monrovia. God, uh, we ask, first of all, that you would give them great joy uh, as they continue this pathway. That they would sense that you are opening and walking before them, uh, opening doors of opportunity. God, that you would bring protection to them as a family, recognizing this is a spiritual warfare and the enemy is out to distract and destroy. So we pray against that and that they would feel empowered by your spirit each day as they move forward with this calling. And God, that you would uh, grant them great favor as they move into a new location, a new place of, of ministry that they would sense very clearly that you've gone before them and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to change lives, hundreds of lives, as they move into this new place of opportunity. And so, God, uh, we offer this great blessing upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord,
2: Apostle Paul said that only by grace we minister. So, Lord, I pray that your grace will be abounding in this ministry, in this new place in Malovia. Lord, I pray that this is, a, is going to be a place where not only the gospel is preached, not only the love is shared, Father, not only the, um, the sick and, and, and hell-bound people will be coming and saved, but, Lord, also that your glory will be even more magnified through their ministry pray lord this would not be albert's church but this will be christ's church where you're the head you are the pre- you take the preeminence and you'll be the center of all activities lord i pray that this will not be just activity but it will be mission the mission will be completed only when uh, all nations all people all color all race will come together and worship you uh, together just like the Revol- revelation seven nine says Lord, I pray that they will be able to admonish everyone, proclaim Christ, and teach everyone with all wisdom until everyone becomes mature in Christ. Right, oh, Lord, I pray that this will be a place where, where they, your, your glory will be just so attractive that all those who have lost their hope, those who are in, disenfranchised, those who are marginalized, they'll be coming coming to you in droves, that the Church of Christ will be established, not only established, but will be successful, not only successful, but fruitful, to the point where they can also send people out to make disciples of all the nations, that, Lord, your gospel will be even further um, spread, even to the regions beyond. We want to thank you for this opportunity to be able to commission them, but also bless them. The Lord, I pray that you will continue to bless them So they'll be blessing to others in Jesus name.